Hello everyone, I'm Alice and this is the Theory of the Postdoc Evolution, the podcast from the Postdoctoral Development Center at Queen's University, Belfast. In this 17th episode, recorded in May 2021, David Scott and Malcolm Brown, who are two of our postdocs, chat with one of their former colleagues, Janet Diffin. They talk about her approach to identifying suitable positions outside of academia and translating your skills and experience when applying for jobs in the third sector. Enjoy. But listen, uh, uh, welcome um, and, and thanks very much for, for doing this today. Just to, by way of introducing Janet to the other people on the call, uh, uh, Janet's a, a former colleague of mine from the School of Nursing uh, and Midwifery and um, Janet completed her, her uh, undergraduate uh, degree, a psychology degree in Queen's before doing her PhD in the School of Nursing uh, in Queen's. Uh, having completed her PhD, um, she went to sort of a very prestigious School of Nursing in the University of Manchester to complete her first uh, postdoctoral post before moving back to the School of Nursing uh, in Queen's uh, for a couple of years. But I think the thing that interests me about Janet is that you know Janet has been quite, I think, ingenious and innovative in some of the the, the posts that she has gone for, having now decided to to leave academia. Um, she she worked initially, and we'll, we'll talk about this hopefully during the conversation. But she worked initially for Hospice UK um, on a project that they did uh, looking at um, a system called Echo, which, bearing in mind the way we're all working now, was ahead of its time. It was a video conferencing software to develop palliative care services uh, in a less kind of centralised way. Uh, and whenever we contacted Janet to, to take part in this interview today, I discovered that she has now moved on to the utility regulator for Northern Ireland. So I see Janet yeah. now fighting the cause for the, the little people um, out there. So, so welcome, Janet. Thank you very much. Well, and I should also say, actually, um, one thing that I mentioned, wanted to mention was that, uh, you know, Janet has been very committed to... Uh, to developing careers for, for, for postdocs, and even though she's not working in the academic sector at the moment, uh, you know, Janet has a, a Twitter page where she tries to identify posts um, uh, that would be suitable for postdocs just to sort of highlight those and flag those up to people. So we'll, again, we'll be talking about that in a wee while, and you can maybe share your username and stuff too. Um, yeah, sure. But uh, so, so welcome. Uh, I just wanted to start off here just by asking you if you could tell us a little bit you know, about your academic background and take us through that sort of journey. Okay. Um, yes, so a bit of background. Um, so I did my psychology degree um, and then went on the job hunt when I finished. So this is in the olden days of the big, massive Belfast Telegraph, where I don't know if anybody else remembers that, but used to job hunt religiously. Um, and... I seen the PhDs actually advertised in the Belfast Telegraph, um, so it was funded by the Department of Education and Learning. Um, so I thought, well, that looks right up my street. The topic, sort of broad topic area, was there. Um, so that's how I applied. I didn't initially seek out to do a PhD. Um, probably thought I would end up doing a master's. Didn't have the finance for that at the time. So yeah, seen the PhD advertised and, and went for it, interviewed for it and then got it and then panicked going, is this what I actually want to do? Um, do I accept this? What do I do? But I took sort of a leap of faith and, and went ahead and, and started them a PhD with the School of Nursing at Queen's. 
Um, so the topic area was looking at parents of babies who had surgery in the first few weeks of life and looking at their ex- psychological sort of coping, their experiences, their support um, that they had available to them and things like that. So quite psychology based, but not in the School of Psychology. Um, and on reflection, learning point for me, that was probably a mistake. <laughs> um, as a psychology graduate, I feel I probably should have said in the School of Psychology on reflection, um, solely because working at the School of Nursing, you then realise I realised there was maybe no place for me to move into a lectureship, um, and that natural sort of next step maybe wasn't there. Um, so I mean that's that's hindsight. That was a wonderful thing, but that's just my own per- personal reflection on on that as to where I did my PhD. Um, and then was very much encouraged to publish in psychology journals um, from my supervisor and sort of try to keep it psychology based. Um, but then I went back, as you said, David, I went to Manchester to work then after my, my PhD and worked in the School of Nursing there. Um, but I really loved the hands on research, health research. That was just what I loved doing. Um, so I just felt that was more matched to, to what I sort of wanted to do in the areas I wanted to work in. So. Um, that sort of got me up to post where I got to Manchester then, David. And, and, and you were there for, for a couple of years. What, what prompted the move then back to, to Northern Ireland? Yeah, so I had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there wasn't any babysitters in England. Um, so it was very much a, a personal... It was for more personal reasons rather than professional. Um, I really loved working in Manchester. I loved the school. I loved everybody I worked with um, and it was really sad leaving but I probably would have done it at some point so we come home when my boy was two and I probably would have come home when he was school age anyway um, so it was definitely it was more for personal rather than professional reasons that we moved back home. And, and I mean whenever you you know made the decision to do the PhD and, and during that process of doing the PhD and the post I mean what did you envisage would, would would be the natural progression? I mean, did you want an academic post at that stage? Or? Do you know, I, I hadn't, this sounds awful, but you know when you have them talks with your PI and it's like, what's your five-year plan or what's your two? I never, I didn't really have that. I just really enjoyed research and I really enjoyed the work with people and really jo- enjoyed trying to make a difference in that way. And whilst it always seemed that a lectureship might have been the next sort of step in that journey, I was never a hundred percent. You know, this is what I want to do next. Um, I was probably a bit more open-minded, even very early on um, in my postdoc career, as to where things might go. Or I was always interested in maybe working for the third sector or um, in a research role, maybe sort of like civil service type thing. So that that was always on my radar as well. Um, so yeah, I don't think I was a hundred percent definitely wanted to do a lectureship or anything. Um, you're saying there it sounds awful, but I mean you're pretty much describing my experience as well. You know, I've really enjoyed the research and have probably stayed doing it. You know, across a wide variety of projects for far too long. But it's you know, I think when you find an area and you're doing something that you enjoy, you tend to. To, to stick there, but I suppose the, the difference between you know your experience and my experience is that you were brave enough to kind of make make that leap. You know, what prompted the decision then to 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 leave academia? I was 
I'll be really honest, I was really struggling with carving out a work-life balance. Um, I tried to sit on the committees and write journal articles and link up with my old colleagues and keep involved in projects to have those links. You know, I tried all the stuff you're supposed to do or that you're told to do, that you need to do really to move into a lecturing position, and I just burned out. Um, I, I, I felt like there was like a dark cloud followed me of like journal articles that needed finished. Um, and, and you know what it's like? It can take, depending on who you're writing papers with, it can take a long time. And I just felt that my success was very dependent on other people. And I didn't, as a, I'm a bit of a control freak, so I didn't really like that. That my success, I felt, was a little bit in the hands of a lot of other people who I was writing articles with, who who was my PA at the time, for example. Or So that made me sort of reflect, is this what I want to do? And do I feel like I'm going to, is there a natural next step? But I felt I was moving just across and not not developing any further. And I wanted to do something more, I think, um, in the end up. But I think the work-life balance was was a struggle for me um, in the last few years in particular. I think that's probably because my wee boy had come along as well. Um, I was okay the first few years. I was child-free and it was, you could, it, it, you didn't really have to think about anything else. You just yourself and your work and that was fine. But um, life takes over and changes along the way and you just reflect on what you want to do in life then. Yeah, no, I think that, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's very true. I mean, for, for a long time, you know, we would say, I mean, we had a family and, and it was my wife that had the sort of permanent full-time post and, and it sort of gave me the luxury of, well, you know, I can keep doing this and going from contract to contract. But yeah, I mean, at, at different points in your life, it does become something that kind of, you know, hinders you and, and definitely does affect the choices and, and things you made. But you didn't think it was, a, wasn't it a difficult decision for you then in the end to leave academia? No, I mean, I applied for so many jobs and that's, I guess, a, a take home from today. Don't be disheartened if you do start to apply for things. Um, you know, you might not even get an interview. When you do get an interview, somebody else might already be lined up for the job. That's happened before. Don't be disheartened. It's all experience, et cetera, et cetera. But I was so ready to leave. Um, and I, the, the job with Hospice UK, I interviewed for it. And I didn't get it first time round. I got a call about six weeks later to say the other person had turned it down. Was I still interested? I was like, yes, absolutely. Um, I don't care if you didn't choose me first. That's fine. Um, but I actually sobbed a little bit when I got told I didn't get it first time round because on paper, that was the perfect job for me. Um, and I felt this is finally the one. You know, I've ticked so many boxes here. It lines up with what I've done previously. It lines up where I want to go. And I didn't get it first time round. And I was like, what do I have to do to get a job? So by the time I did get that job, I was so ready um, to leave and to have a new experience um, and, and start afresh, I think. And, and uh, I, I was doing some work with the hospice in Northern Ireland at the stage, you know, and whenever I had heard that you'd, you'd got this job, you know, um, uh, looking at, at the ECHO project, I mean, it was something that they were, you know, really excited about, you know, it was something that, you know, it was within that sort of palliative care sector, it was it was really high profile. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, you know, whenever you'd got that, you know, I don't know if it's a case of not being brave enough to make that decision, or I would have looked at that and it was outside of academia, so I would have thought, well, that, 
I, I think I'm different to you and that I think you look at a project or a post and you think I can do that. Whereas I look at a project and a post and I, th- I almost look for reasons why I shouldn't be able to do that, you know. But, I think uh, that's probably a lot of people, David, are probably like that. And in, in my most recent role, I mean, I applied for that on a, I didn't think I was quite, I didn't quite fit, it, fit, fit the role looking at the description, but I applied anyway. But I think the key thing is don't be afraid to apply for things, even if you do, you're not quite sure. One, there's nothing lost. You've actually, see when you actually, the first application form I ever did, I looked at it and went, not to blow my own trumpet, but you realise how much you do that's taken for granted um, in the world because everybody else is doing it in academia. We all work at very similar levels in uh, postdocs. You know, we're all extremely talented, intelligent people. Um, but when you go to fill in your application form for something, you go, oh, God, yes, I can do that. And I, I can do that. And oh, yes, I work with that. So that's similar to what they're asking for here. Um and what's the worst that can happen? You won't get an interview, or you will get an interview, and in which case you just get some experience if you don't get the role. And it's it's learning. And even if you don't think you want to leave academia, apply anyway, and then you make the decision. You know, if they want you, then you can go. Okay, then you can sit back and, and think fully. Do, do I, is this is this what I want next? But I wouldn't be afraid of whacking an application form here and there, just so you can put down on paper and learn how to communicate what you're doing in academia because I think that's a big thing It's learning the language that's used in different sectors and learning how your skills and what you do apply exactly to that but you mightn't be calling it that for example project management you mightn't think of yourselves as project managers that's what everybody does when they're doing a PhD or when they're doing a postdoc um, so it's that language and not being afraid to to go, no, I can do that. <laughs> and I'm probably highly skilled compared to a lot of other people, so I'll wing in a form anyway. <laughs> that, that's, that's the take-home message then is wing in a form. That's, wing it in. <laughs> what have you got to lose? <laughs> uh, well, I think, you, I think you're 100% right. It's a, it's a different way of communicating about things. And I think, you know, the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, you know, we don't recognize that it is in any way out of the ordinary. You know, I, I think that's the thing is that, that things, you know, working at quite a high level becomes so routine to us that, you know, you don't you don't really shout about it, but um, but did you notice any? I mean, whenever you left academia and started working for for, did you notice any great transition between sort of working in the MBC and then having to work for Hospice UK? Um, I think one of the one of the first things that really felt different for me was feeling valued, and this is not to go against anybody I've worked with in the past, but as you said, David, we're, we all work at an extremely high level in the academic world. And so much and more and more is expected of you as a postdoc. You know, I'm reflecting back on, you know, you have to be on Twitter now and you have to do all your comms. And, you know, in the real world, there's communication managers do all that stuff for you. You know, so you're, you're doing everything. Um, so I think one of the things for me was actually feeling very valued for the first time and feeling like I was an expert in what I had trained to do and that my sort of voice was was valued and my input was valued very early on on the project you know even though I was new so that was a great feeling um and the other thing was the work-life balance like at the start I felt lazy um I'm not gonna lie I finally discovered the joy of binge watching stuff on Netflix like I had never done that before um in the evenings having time so it was like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders um 
leaving academia and I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to come on here and be really negative but that that is the way it, it felt for me it was it was a very positive transition um definitely into a new role and, and it's funny I think sometimes the way people perceive you, you know you're working within academia because I remember whenever I got my first post for Queen's you know a friend of mine sort of you know, sitting back and saying, well, you, you'll never have to work a day then. You know, there was this kind of perception that you would get a job for the university and that it was all going to be gravy after that. Whereas, yeah, as you say, I think whenever I came in, I was busy. And as the years have gone by, you get busier and busier. You know, you're asked to get involved in more and more things, um, which is all good and it's all good experience. But it is then about finding that that balance. I, I, I wanted to ask you, um, Jan, you know, about your sort of your job search, kind of like how have you identified these kinds of posts that you, you know, as I said at the start, you know, I do think you've been very innovative and you have, you know, you've identified posts that I wouldn't look at immediately and say, well, that, yeah, that's something that's suitable for a postdoc or that's who they would be looking for. You know, how, how have you gone about that? I think it's just, I, I like, chron- like a chronic job, like I chronically apply for jobs. I've, I don't know, even now I'm in a permanent role. I'm sure my boss will never listen to this, but I'm always still looking out for what's out there. Um, and it started, we, there was a program at Queen's Transitioning Beyond Academia or something that um, Lillian Simones had run. I think Alice was actually on one of a few of the things with me that we both had went along to that. Um, but that really helped, that really helped me realise that actually I just need to learn the language of what's out there and apply what I do into their language so I think that's one of the first steps just sitting with the job description and going right how do how is what I'm doing now how does that translate into this this role and you'll find a lot of it does you know the project management the working with stakeholders internal external up building relationships I think one of the massive skills postdocs have is being able to just be given this huge amount of information and being able to condense that down and extract out what's most important and be able to communicate that and that's a skill I think in in my current role that's something I can do really quickly and my manager has said to me several times you work really fast (laughs) I heard about PhDs working fast and but but you are so used to doing that um so it's just it's just trying to unpick what they mean in job applications that you're looking and, and going right how do, how do my skills apply so the more I looked <laughs> the more jobs I've applied for so a lot of the stuff I share are similar roles to what I've probably applied for in the past maybe not even got interviewed or got interviewed and not got the job so I know that people can do it and can do those roles and can be successful in getting interviewed for them um so yeah it's just it's just taking what you do and being able to translate it into what they want because trust me you're all extremely um like talented <laughs> individuals and people would love to have you work for them honestly that's nice to hear <laughs> <laughs> see I, I always imagined that if i left academia i'd be taxiing <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. The skills are so sought after that uh-huh. postdocs have. They really are sought after. It's just about you being able to tell tell people what they need to know yeah. and and not being like I I quizzed some of the people that's interviewed me before to find out is this going to fit? Is this right for me? You know, so 
once you get to an interview stage, don't be afraid to quiz the people that's interviewing you either to see if this is going to be a good fit for you. Um, ask about how they work on a weekly basis, monthly basis. How does the team work? How you know all the dynamics? You can ask about those type of things, and then you'll know if it's a right fit for you. And if it's not, it's not. If it is, give it a go. Yeah. So, so being a, a, a postdoc completing the PhD and things, it's it, it, it has it really helped prepare you for the, these new roles. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, even things I do now. So I work for the utility regulator now. Um, and consumer protection sounds completely random to what I've done before, but actually a lot of similarities. So a lot of my work in the past was with family carers, for example. And now a lot of my work is around protections for vulnerable consumers. Um, and it's interesting, the same issues, the same debates. Um, so, for example, the term family care has, you know, a lot of debate around that as a term being used. Vulnerability in, in the energy sector, it's the same arguments, it's the same debate. It's, is this the right term? Can we call people this? We're labeling people. Um, so a lot of that even softer skills um, has translated over as well, um, definitely into my new role. Um, so yeah, there's there's all that learning you have. Implementation, I've done a lot of stuff in implementation of new um, practices and healthcare services. Again, in, in my new role, we're looking at implementation of new measures, best practice measures to help vulnerable consumers. Um, so that it's all it's all sort of carried over, which I didn't think it would, but it but it has. Yeah. It's all been really valuable. And, and do they care about publications? No, <laughs> no, they don't. So I love writing reports and really factual stuff. So. I didn't really enjoy writing journal articles, I'm not going to lie. Um, so now I give me a report to write. I love it. Give me a, you know, we're starting to write. Uh, so that'll be one of my first things is writing like a consultation paper that goes out. Um, and you get responses back in from all like consumer groups and energy suppliers and things like that. So then you take that consultation and you make it into like a decision paper and write, write right, this is what people told us and this is what we're going to do. So that's more up my street. I discovered. I think in academia as well, journal writing journals is not wasn't my favourite thing. So no, you don't have to publish. <laughs> that much more sort of pragmatic style of writing. That's that's yeah, that's what you, yeah. I mean, thinking about posts you've gone for and thinking about you know your CV. I mean, I remember whenever you were uh, in the school, you know, you were someone who sort of would have looked at training courses and would have gone and seen how to develop. I mean, are there are there particular courses that you did or particular skills that you developed during your time as a postdoc that that have proven like more valuable than others whenever you've been looking for jobs? Yeah, I I think that um I don't know if it still runs around, and I'm sure Alice probably does similar things. But the one transition and beyond academia it was called at the time. I don't know if that still runs or whatever. Um, but we had like a fake, you know, like practice interview panel and everything where you went and got interviewed. And um, I remember going to Lillian with a completed application form for a job one time when she was giving me hints and tips. So if you are thinking of moving out of academia, I would recommend just throwing yourself into all of that type of stuff. I went to something on design thinking. Um, I got you think about what you wanted from your life, essentially. And give you some time to reflect on what's important to you, not just, you know, as on, on a personal level and how that will inform where you go. So all of that stuff, just throw yourself into it. It's uncomfortable going through fake interviews, but it's worth it. Um, the other training, I, I did my Prince 2 project management, foundation and practitioner. One, it's expensive. What I recommend it, 
Not necessarily. And I don't think you would need the practitioner one. The foundation one would be enough. However, what I would say is learn the language around project management and start using it in your application forms. So, for example, I said about, oh, I hold a risk, re risk register, you know, for my project. I didn't technically, but I kept an eye on things that might go wrong and how that might impact the timeline or, you know, breaking, you know, project milestones and project boundaries and, you know, what's dependent on what, see, just learning that language and being able to put that in an application form as an example of how you've project managed, it'll make, they'll be able to understand you better. So anything like that that can help you translate what you're doing now, the outside world sort of language, I think would be, would be really useful for people. Yeah. As you were talking there, it reminded me, um, you know, years ago, I worked in a residential unit for, for children and I was applying for a job uh, to get out of it. And, and one of the criteria for the job was something to do with financial management or something like that, which I had no real experience yeah. of. And I said to a colleague at the time, oh, this job perfect for me, but they want this financial thing, but I have no experience in that. And he was saying, yeah, of course, of course you do. And I was saying, well, and he said, you know, he gave me this like sentence where it was, you know, that I took fiscal responsibility for the unit. Yeah. On a rotational basis, and I sort of said, "What does that mean?" I'm not going to lie on the form, and he said, uh, "Well, you give out the kids their pocket money on a Friday, you know." And he said, "That's financial responsibility." But, but think of your grant applications you might be involved in. Yeah. You might directly be involved in tweaking the figures, but you're still involved in it. So yeah. currently, I just went through like a pro, you know doing procurement to hire um to put out for tender like a survey to do survey, um and my manager's like, "Oh, these forms," and I was like. Have you ever seen a grant application? <laughs> you know, an academic says, this is nothing. So yeah. even that experience translate complete. You know, you mightn't think you have it, but just actually little things you've been involved with all count. Yeah, and I mean, in, in terms of, of you know, you, you you've mentioned uh, that you're still sort of looking for jobs and you're kind of a serial job hunter and things. Like, but how do you sort of see your career progressing from here? I think in the role I'm in now, I'm really enjoying it because there's so much to learn. Um, it's so new for me, um, you know, this sort of civil service type job and all this legal stuff. So it's all new. So I'm I, at the minute, I think and my boss hopefully won't listen, but I, I am happy where I am at the minute. Um, so I guess in the future, I would like to go on and do a wee bit of like a management type course at some point um, and maybe that sort of where I'd like to head maybe over the next few years, uh, more like a management type role. But um, yeah, there's different there's different courses and things I can have a look at for that. So I suppose that's where I see myself going. Great. But I, I wanted to ask you about the, the Twitter page, just you know, for anybody that's not aware of it. What, what is your, your username on Twitter? I think it's at postdocs ni. I should have had this written down, shouldn't I? Postdoc jobs NI. At postdoc yeah. jobs NI, yeah. yeah. So this was my maternity leave project, everybody. Um, and I find the job I'm in now because of that Twitter page. So there you go. <laughs> and what was the, you know, what was the motivation behind, you know, was it boredom on maternity leave? Yeah, or? bit of both. So chronic job searcher and was on maternity leave and I love social media stuff. So I was like, oh, I'll just set up a wee page, see how it goes. <laughs> Um, and I knew a lot of people out there are curious and, you know, for me, that was one of the big things, just trying to find jobs and you don't have the time to do that necessarily. So I thought, well, let's put up a wee post in here and there and people can maybe go, oh, that looks interesting. 
Um, so it's just just something to to help all you very talented people. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's much appreciated. Thank you very much. But it, it is, I mean, it, it's a very different and a very distinct set of skills, I think, it is, first of all, you know, identifying job opportunities, but then that whole kind of process of preparing for, you know, preparing for interviews. And then, you know, you, you, there are so many different sort of styles of interviews and tasks and things that you can be given beforehand. So it, it, anything at all that can make that process easier is, is very welcome, I think. But, uh, there is a question, just a kind of follow up to the um, the Twitter page, uh, where or how do you identify jobs and share on your Twitter page? Is it mainly just um, your own? Just yeah, so LinkedIn, if you're not on LinkedIn, it can be painful to set up a LinkedIn account, but just do it. Um, and you can sign up for job alerts and it's really useful place, um, to hit for job hunting. And I didn't think it was used much anymore, but it is. <laughs> I mean, when you're an academic, you don't realize how big it is, but it's, it's, same thing. Um, sign up for job alerts and like any jobs and um, civil service, you can sign up for job alerts. Um, so yeah, just identify sort of what you're interested in and get your LinkedIn page set up and set up, set up your job alerts. And then you can just have a wee look here and there. Things will pop in your inbox and see if that interests you. Brilliant. And I can kind of concur with that there because I have done that. Um, and it's interesting the sort of jobs that you get sent through to you, they're not necessarily all in academia and they're not necessarily in your area of specialism. So you can kind of have a wee look at what's out there and as you say, you know, try and apply what what you've collected so far to a wider range of jobs so you're not as restricted going forward. Yeah, and the more you do it, the easier it becomes. You you have your little bank examples then, you know, that you can just copy into another application. So just just keep going with it um, and don't be disheartened. It's, but you'll feel amazing when you when you get the job you want. Um, I'll have to drag myself into the modern world and get one. Just do it, David. Just do it. <laughs> Take a leap of faith. I feel very old. <laughs> uh, how do civil service jobs compare in salary to academia? It depends what level you go in at. Um, so if you think the pay scale isn't high enough, don't apply for it. <laughs> Go for what you think you're worth. Um, yeah. You don't have to go in at a. So I mean, I don't want to say what money I'm on now, but it's it's equal to lectureship level, put it that way. So That's, yeah, you know, so those jobs right there, if you if you want them. Yeah. And how do, how do you? I mean, I didn't sort of realise that the consumer uh, work that you're doing that is that is a civil service role. But how, do you find the civil service very sort of structured, or is it? It's completely different to what I'm used to. Like, um, like when I first started, I was like, so I have to send this person an email before I can send this email. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Or, you know, there's all these little weird, um, hierarchies and things that you just have to get used to. And then once you do, it's, it becomes normal part of working life. But yes, there is those little bureaucratic type things. Um, but yeah. It's, it's totally fine. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, so I, I think this is, there's a hashtag now, go for what you're worth when considering salaries. That's what we're... I think I have a little hashtag on my Twitter page, know your worth. That's it. Uh, know your worth and don't settle for anything less. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much. Um, thanks for taking time out today to talk to us. I mean, it's, it's really useful, as I say, uh, not, not to... Uh, 
blow your own trumpet, but I, I do find it, you know, inspirational that you have made that transition and, you know, doing so well and seem so happy. So it's great to see you. I agree. Thank you very much, Janet, for giving us a wee bit of time today and giving us great insight into your, into your job and your career pathway so far. Yeah, no, you're all very welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed this discussion and feel empowered to be more open-minded in the roles you consider applying for. If you want to hear more curious stories from postdocs who, like Janet, have left academia, sign up to the podcast or check our website at go.qub.ac.uk slash podcast PDC. Bye.